Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. So this is kind of a weird episode, just in terms of setting. Setting is weird. Yeah. So today is the last day that we have possession of our first house that we've ever owned together. Yes. And we are not in that house. We are not. We moved out officially yesterday. We did. As of this recording. And we are staying at your mom's place. We are. In the town that we grew up in. We are. Not my childhood home because um, we moved here when I was 19 and I only lived here for two years. Um, but a home I've lived in. And we are in mm-hmm. our, our like childhood hometown that we both grew up in. And this is truly the... This house gives me a lot of, and it's been really weird, gives me a lot of (laughs) memories of like, this was the house you lived in when we started dating. Yes. So it's kind of a trip to be back here watching movies on on the same couches and same TV (laughs) that we were watching movies on when you lived here and we started courting each other. (laughs) But my bedroom is no longer my bedroom. Yeah. We're just down the hall now. (laughs) (laughs) Because my bedroom's been made into an exercise room. The classic sitcom trope. Of your child moves out and you turn it into an exercise room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're staying in uh, what was my sister's room and then my brother's room. I guess before my bedroom was made into a gym, my brother was given full access to turn it into whatever he wanted. And he turned it into his sanctum. Is that what he called it? Yeah. And it was just this little like, like what I imagine a smoking parlor is in an old man's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's accurate. Except he was in high school. <laughs> Uh, and then when he moved out it was turned by my mother into a gym but yeah we're back in back in town yeah and it was weird i mean just kind of reflecting on us leaving our first home that we owned together and now we're kind of in this transitional period into getting into our next home how do you feel about it what's going through your head i'm honestly just so tired yeah. 
like we walked through each room yesterday and like said goodbye and thank you to all the rooms. Very, very <laughs> like Marie Kondo-y. Is that what she does? Uh, it's mostly with like items. Like it's oh. like when you're giving things away, like you kind of thank them for their use and what they gave to you and what they provided to you. And then you let them yeah. let them go. We did that. But yeah. I don't know anything about Marie Kondo. And I was the one that just I didn't like suggest we do it. I just started doing started it. Doing I was it. like, goodbye, bedroom. <laughs> Goodbye, office. <laughs> it, it was actually kind of like, it started as like kind of a silly, but it was actually kind of nice to do that and just kind of have those moments in each of the rooms. But like, yeah, I, I agree. I'm very tired. Yeah. I'm exhausted. It's been what I, for me, it's been one of the most stressful weeks of my life. Yeah. I mean, when we first moved into this home, we were like, we're never moving out. And so we really settled. So yeah. packing was tougher than it had ever been for a couple reasons. We hired movers, so we had to pack well. Mm -hmm. And we had to pack everything. We can just yeah. throw stuff into a vehicle in a Rubbermaid and, and immediately unpack it. Um, but also we had settled more and we'd bought, you know, big items of furniture and things that we'd been holding off buying because we wanted to be in, like, the home we were going to stay in. Um, so it's been a long week of packing we're both still working full-time right now. We've never moved when we were both working full-time. Mm -hmm. It's always been when, like, I'm off on a winter or summer break, and then you usually take the week off, too. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's been been an experience. Yeah, and I'm fitting it. Like, I'm, I'm still working from home, so I'm trying to fit in doing little bits of packing throughout the week yeah. in the morning before I start work and at lunchtime, and then at the end of the day after work doing as much packing yeah. as possible and we were still down to the wire okay. <laughs> we were still pack packing stuff the, I mean, the day the movies were supposed to come i don't know come. that there's a way that you that you're not but i can say oh hiring movers if you if you can oh my god i was so nervous about it because i'm like what if they're bad what if they're it was um, the most stressful like one of the most the biggest stressors of the week yeah for me i was just i've just had never experienced it before like we've never been able to justify that expense or afford that expense before. And we're really lucky that we can both justify it and afford it now. Um, highly recommend. The movers were great. A couple of them were former students. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> they were both very, very good at their jobs. It was cool to see them in a professional environment instead of a school environment and just like rocking what they're doing. And they were very sweet and nice. And, and, and like... Honestly, we were there the whole time they were there. Like we sat there for like three hours and just watched them do it. Like not <laughs> yeah. out of like this, we need to monitor them no. to make sure they're not messing anything up. But like just from like, we have nothing else to do, nowhere else to go. And if they have questions, we want to be here. Yeah. Um. But also it's just like, I don't know, fascinating to watch them yeah, work. Like these are like so good at it. They're, they're a bunch of professional boys doing the professional things. And like it, it was incredible. Yes, they were. It was really impressive, like watching them just like smoothly and easily get our couch from the basement up the stairs with the weird railing when I like saw you struggle to get that down the stairs. And I'm just like, yeah. I thought they would have a difficult time with that. Nope, it's out. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was wild. One of the funniest parts was that um, I'm a bit sloppy, uh, <laughs> especially when it comes to food. I love a treat. I love a snack. I always say, like, I have a good day, I deserve a treat. I have a bad day, I deserve a treat. Um, and my part of the couch 
has lost some <laughs> things over time. Yeah. The funniest one being a plum sauce packet, like one of those little tiny ones um, <laughs> that you get like when you get spring rolls from somewhere. Um, and, you know, we did a really good job of, we, we've been keeping this house cleaner than any house we've cleaned. We've been trying to like do a really thorough clean every two weeks um, and just generally keep it well maintained. And so like, yeah, as they were moving stuff, there weren't really a lot of like surprises, like some toys of the cat would, cats would be unearthed or like a extension cord we forgot to grab. But when they moved that couch and I went downstairs <laughs> to look just underneath my section, three socks, the plum sauce packet, various M&Ms, popcorn, lots of popcorn, Kleenex, <laughs> so much Kleenex. I uh, carry Kleenex in my pockets. And then it was one of my students who had moved that. That was the one time I was embarrassed to have someone I had taught <laughs> be moving my stuff every yeah. other time i was like that's fine they can see i have a piano and a lot of books that's cool um so i was just like oh my goodness i'm so sorry that was gross and he goes oh yeah just a few snacks <laughs> yeah. um, like we we've talked about this a lot but like i'm sure they've seen much much worse oh yeah they were they seem to be you had been really concerned that we hadn't packed well enough or properly or yeah. you know and and they came in and were like wow you're organized you did this really well and um yeah, it was great. So they seemed to be thankful for us. We were thankful for them. And I mean, I can't imagine how much more tired we would be had yesterday been something we were doing. Mm -hmm. We ended up, we thought we were going to spend today cleaning the house and spending our last time in it. But we just felt like we had some energy because we didn't have to move. And so we did it all yesterday and we're not going back. Yeah. I personally felt motivated because I'm like, I just watched these boys crush it. And I'm just like, Let's. I got to do something. Yeah. It did feel very passive. I was like, it feels wrong not to like help them, but we would just be getting in their way. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, we're, it's, it's a weird emotional time. It's a weird environmental time just being mm -hmm. in a different city but still, our lives, we're not on vacation. We're not off work right now. We have to keep going as it is. And, um, you know, we're, we're recording in a very DIY scramble way right now. We took the stools from the kitchen <laughs> and we're in the downstairs den. Usually we're in a room, like with the door that closes. So, mm -hmm. um, and uh, this, is, this is more long-winded, I think, than we intended. But um, just as an aside, we sadly don't have our baby kitty with us right now mm -hmm. um he's with our very good friends uh jordan and travis who are very thoughtfully taking care of him this week for us yeah because my mom has a cat and well her cat twiggy would be fine or like neutral about <laughs> our cat thompson being here he yeah. is not no um and so twiggy is here and oh boy does she have the quite the meow Oh, God. So if you hear it in the background, yeah. um, first of all, apologies, because it is something. <laughs> um, <laughs> and secondly... Pray for us, because we're going to yeah. be here all week and just dealing with <laughs> dealing with Twiggy. But if you think there is a woman dying in the background, that's just, just my mom's cat meowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, do we want to start, start talking about what we watched this week? Yeah, I mean... Honestly, I'm impressed we watched anything this week. Yeah. We had been talking about trying to pre-record like a, our favorite movies thing so that if we ended up not watching anything this week, we could still release an episode on time because we want to be consistent and mm -hmm. it's important to us. And we will um, do that episode at some time. Yeah, we at will. At some point. 
But. We will for sure. We're taking some vacations this summer and might be important to do that then. Yeah. Um, but we just didn't have time. We've been so busy mm-hmm. with work and with um, the house stuff has been ongoing for weeks. And so uh, we made it happen. Um, but it was kind of, like, I feel like we say this every week. It was a weird week of movies, but this is truly a weird week of movies. Like just in terms of movies <laughs> we don't typically watch and there's not yeah. really like a standout stunner in here perhaps although i have one that i think is a standout stunner but i yeah. don't know that it would be for the i don't know that it's one that a lot of people have, have heard of or seen mm-hmm. or would necessarily be their bag and that's actually the first one yeah. for me so let's talk about it let's do it so the first movie of the week i picked um is called stories we tell came out in 2012 it's directed and written by sarah Polly with narration by her father michael Polly. um so he wrote a section and he narrates that throughout it's a documentary. Mm-hmm. We have not talked about a documentary yeah. on the show. We've only watched fictional movies mm-hmm. um, or biopics, which are <laughs> fictional-ish <laughs> movies. Um, the reason I picked this is it was Mother's Day. So mm-hmm. last Sunday, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I thought it might just be, I didn't have anything particularly on my radar that I wanted to pick, but I was like, it might be cool to pick something related to mothers in some way doesn't have to be like a traditional motherly movie but just something that explores something to do with the concept of motherhood i had a different movie in mind but it was quite long Mm -hmm. and we've been tired for weeks Mm -hmm. um and we would have had to rent it and then i saw it was free on hoopla with um like streaming through our library cards but for some reason I couldn't get my like pin to work so I need to go talk to talk to the library and then I was like okay well I'll take that as a as a indication that I should pick a different movie and so I picked this one it's on Netflix so easy to access um and why I picked it is it's it's about Sarah Polly's mom and it's kind of a like attempt to excavate what her mother's story was by talking to people who knew her because she uh, died when Sarah was 11, I think. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and so the synopsis that I got from IMDb, and, and I would say there's some revelations in this movie, and I've heard that some of the synopses that you can find online kind of spoil that. Um, so I would be careful if you're like interested in watching this and, and want to have that element of, of revelation to, to maybe just go in and go watch it. We will keep the spoilers out as we do. Uh, but the synopsis I have, which is a good one, is a film that excavates layers of myth and memory to find the elusive truth at the core of a family of storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's not starring so much as containing the entire Polly family. Um, also Sarah's siblings that have a different last name, Buchan or Buchan. Um, and kind of the other kind of key players are Michael Polly and Harry Gulkin. Um, and and it's done through interviews and then and then footage as well. So, what did you think of this movie? Well, I want I want to say first off, great Mother's Day pick. Thanks. Awesome. What is Sarah Polly from? <laughs> so, so it was interesting because I feel like I hear Sarah Polly and I'm like, I know Sarah Polly so well. Um, she was in Splice. Remember that movie Splice with like this kind of like a weird creature with like yeah. this gross kind of tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I looked and she hasn't really been in much else. But I feel like that movie came out and it was a big deal. Or at least it was a big deal to me, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was in that. And I think that like maybe there was a lot of like rising star talk. Um, She recently, I actually saw this 
um, on uh, Bridie from Turn Me On on her uh, Instagram. Hmm. That Sarah Polly has a memoir that just came out. Oh, really? Um, and according to Bridie, it's really good. Nice. So I'm like, oh, maybe I should read that. That's, I mean, if this film is any indication, I think I would really like her memoir. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's exploring more family stuff from my understanding. I should have done some more research so I could talk about that. But um, she was in a film called Mr. Nobody that Jared mm. Leto, Leto, how do you say his last name? Leto. Leto. Whatever. Jared Don't whatever <laughs> that he was in. And it actually is a really high rating like everywhere, mm. but I do not like him. Yeah. Yuck. So he is yuck. Yeah. Um, and she's Canadian. She is Canadian. So it was it was like kind of like nice to see like a lot of Can like Canada. I mean, most I of it's in Toronto and Montreal, and and I've we've never been to Toronto outside of the um, airport. Although we will finally go there this summer. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have been to Montreal twice. Yes. And we'll go back there many times. Yeah, so it's love cool it. to see. Um. I think that this is probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Yeah, agreed. Um, and for context, I had no like I had seen the cover of this movie mm -hmm. before. I had no idea of what it was about yeah. or who made it or who it was about. I I, I went in. And even once it was revealed, it seems like you don't really know Sarah Polly. Not that I do no. either, but I was like when this movie came out in 2012. I feel like I was in my documentary phase. Do you remember when I just loved documentaries? Mm -hmm. I feel like I really liked documentaries from like late junior high into my early 20s. And then I kind of kind of started being like, well, documentaries are just as manipulative. Well, like they can be re really manipulative. They can be really biased. Mm -hmm. I think I got um, burnout from all of the documentary shows that started coming out. Like mm -hmm. all of the like uh, making a murderer and whatever else yeah um and i kind of became more interested in like listening to a podcast if i was going to look for something more fact-based i feel like netflix specifically has oh. a lot of like their documentaries tend to be really biased yeah and then you you really or at least i have watched some of them really liked them and then gone online and read like all the things that were left out or you know shown in a way that obscured a kind of um, neutral view. What I love about this documentary is that's a part of the documentary. Mm -hmm. Like in the documentary, it's exploring the fact that truth is a nebulous concept yeah. and it doesn't try to find a truth. What it seems to do is kind of explore the complex intersection between story and truth. Yes. And, and I think it reaches a conclusion that truth is both subjective and impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those two concepts can exist at the same time that something can be true to an individual person and yet the truth can be an impossibility. And both of those things can simultaneously be true. Yeah. That, it's it's so like beautiful yeah. and complex and it made me like really, it made me think about the way I think about like my father's life and the stories about his life because he passed away over 10 years ago and, and there honestly aren't a lot of people left to tell me stories about him. Mm -hmm. Um, and the stories that I do hear, like, you know, they're impacted by memory because memory, like our memories become embellished and confused and forgotten and swapped over time. Like memory is such a untrustworthy thing. Um, and I've always been interested in, 
I think my dad led a fascinating, complicated life, um, which made my life both complicated and fascinating in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always thought that his story is a story worth telling. And it's funny because at the beginning of this documentary, one of Sarah Polly's siblings says, like, I just don't know why anyone would want to know the story of, like, our mother. Like, um, but this is a fascinating story. It was a fascinating story on its own. Um, And then there are a couple, like, gasp-worthy moments. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that Mm -hmm. really, um, really were, they got me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it it was it was a really complicated and dug into that complication and yet beautiful, reflective, non-judgmental like tribute to her mother and her family. Yeah. I agree with all of that. Like I I just think that what really some things that really worked for me is yeah, she did a a really great job of representing family Mm. and the complexities of family um obviously through the lens of her own personal experience with her family but i found so much of it relatable Mm. just Mm -hmm. being just being in a family um i also just thought um the way she executed this Mm -hmm. was awesome so she used a lot of like super eight Mm -hmm. film um for a lot of the footage in this Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know. Just uh, I'm a sucker for that. I just think yeah. it, I think it looks so cool, and it just adds a really cool aesthetic. And when you're kind of cutting into that, and then cutting back to just like you know modern day like HD talking heads. recording, talking heads, and things like that, like it, it it worked really really well. And she just had like such a control over composition and framing and pacing and the editing of the whole thing. Like the flow of the documentary was really, really good. And she even gives space, um, particularly the beginning and the end for people to challenge what she's doing, right. To be like, well, this is your version. And if I was making this movie, I might edit it differently and then it would read differently. Right. And like, she doesn't shy away from that or even from her own, like there's a section where she kind of explores like, what is what are the themes that she's trying to get across in this? Why does she want to make this? And like someone challenger, challenges her on what she's saying and is like, well, actually, maybe you're feeling this emotion and this emotion. And she's like, maybe I am, right? And we also see a lot of um, like those kind of meta shots of like the setting up of a shot or pulling back and seeing like the boom mics. Um, so that like it explores the very nature of documentary film. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if a lot of that is because she's talking to family. Mm-hmm. Um, There's an intimacy there. Yeah. And a lot of that, it, it bleeds through in those in those kind of moments. Like she purposefully wanted to insert those moments into this documentary to, I think, kind of show a bit of the person's the person, whoever she's talking to or interviewing, whoever's on camera to let a little bit of their personality shine through, yeah. let, let a little bit of her and their dynamic yeah. shine through particularly with her siblings yeah because yeah. i think i mean even as soon as like we hop on mic it's kind of an elevated version of ourselves like we kind yeah. of feel like we need it's a little bit performative because of course you got to yeah. make it interesting yeah so the same goes for in documentaries as soon as the cameras start rolling the person kind of puts on a bit more of like i don't know for lack of a better term more of a professional mm-hmm. um persona 
Um, but capturing those moments in between when the person's kind of like, you know, when yeah. they're when they're just, you know, a little bit more relaxed and it's just a conversation with mm-hmm. their daughter or what, whoever, the, yeah. whatever the relation is. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Something I really liked and you mentioned earlier was the, uh, the it's narrated by Sarah Polly's father. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of footage of him reading the narration in a, a sound booth mm-hmm. and Sarah Polly's on the other side of the glass, like giving him instruction. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of like he's recording an audiobook kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like she'll be like, stop, can you take that line again? And we'll hear him take the line twice. Yeah. He has a great voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and great. and like a really compelling uh narrative voice too, like as a writer. Yeah. Um but I, I liked I liked those moments. Yeah. Just from like a creative perspective, like all the like cinematography super eight stuff was great, but also yeah, like seeing the sound recording and just seeing all the production behind the scenes stuff as like in my career, as I've been getting to do more and more of that kind of production work, I just find more like seeing seeing kind of how the sausage is made, so to speak, is really <laughs> exciting. Yeah, it was it was really compelling, and I feel like it's a bit of maybe like a sleeper hit. Like if and it's you know it's on Netflix, and I feel like that is the streaming site that most people have if they have at least one. Mm-hmm. So you know if you like documentary at all, and you're interested in kind of the like complications of life and story and family and what we do and don't understand about our parents and and our family dynamics and how they've shaped us um highly highly recommend yeah um what one last thing i wanted to touch on is just something i feel is on full display here is sarah Polly's passion her creative passion Mm. and how that runs through her family like it seems like everybody kind of like something that you were kind of speaking to about yourself and like wanting to tell your dad's story or mm-hmm. like hear more of that. Like I feel like generationally through her family, there's been a series of people that want to tell a story mm-hmm. and didn't necessarily know how to do it or mm-hmm. how they wanted mm-hmm. to go about it, how to put it out, how to compile all everything they needed to tell those stories. And then she's done it. I mean, that's, I don't know. I've, I feel like I've talked to you about this where um, I don't think my siblings listen to this show, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I have three siblings, two sisters and a brother, and we're all very skilled in our own ways. And I think we're all good writers and speakers in our own ways. Um, and one of my siblings has been like, yeah, we should like co-write a book about dad. And I'm like, I just want to do my own version of it. Mm-hmm. But how interesting would it be if each of us had our own way of telling our dad's story, because they would be different stories. Mm -hmm. The way that each of my siblings would tell that story would be different based on their own experiences with him, their own perceptions of him at different times in their lives. Um, The different people they've talked to, because there's some really like foundational conversations I had with like my dad's mom, my grandma before she passed. Um, that maybe she didn't, maybe my siblings didn't have those conversations, mm-hmm. you know, where I've had lots of conversations with my stepsister that definitely my siblings haven't had. Um, also, you know, my older siblings would have like been privy to parts of my dad's life that I wasn't because I wasn't alive yet um, or just able to retain memories yet. And I just think it'd be so fascinating to see the totally different version of the story that nonetheless is true to each individual person. 
I feel and I feel like a documentary like this is probably the best way to to do that. Like, I <laughs> yeah, except everyone who knew my dad is dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, that's, I, that's I, facetious. I, not I, everyone <laughs> is dead, but a lot of the key players in the story are not around anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I feel like what you're talking about telling that story through the different lenses of your siblings or mm-hmm. other people, other people that knew your dad wouldn't necessarily be captured as well in a book like i i feel like a documentary like this would lend itself really well to so telling that story of, speaking of do you know that i used to like want to make documentary movies yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You <laughs> I, mentioned would, it. I i i think and i mentioned here that i used to like to just make movies but around like mid junior high because my dad always had a video camera and like would let me use it um and i just became obsessed with like like doing like really crappy editing of just like recording the stuff onto the VHS and then editing it through or like recording it onto the camera cassette and then editing it through how I put it onto a VHS tape. Yeah. Real rough editing. Not a lot of tools there, but I did like I was really engaged in it in a way that like I don't know if it's just being too busy as an adult or just too many digital things that can take my attention away. You don't just like sit. I don't just sit and tinker as much anymore. But around junior high, I became really obsessed with like the idea of making documentaries specifically. And I was fascinated with how you could manipulate the truth. I've told you about my um my little documentary on like the bias local businesses had against teenagers mm-hmm. that I made for um a junior high class where I interviewed our principal or junior high principal about um businesses that would only that like would make teenagers like drop off their backpacks or wouldn't allow teenagers in during lunch hour um and he was telling a story about like some thefts or something that happened and and he said sometimes it's not our kids but usually it is and i cut it to just say it's not our kids (laughs) i feel like you might have told this story on the show before have i really you might have oh should we just cut this out then (laughs) no no It's great. Oh, telling the same story twice within 11 episodes. Just Quality like, content here, listeners. Quick quick tangent. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is on like the lost first episode that we did. But uh, It could have been on the one where I just talked about making movies. But like quick tangent, we just went for a walk and we're talking about how we're, <laughs> if we're going to be together forever, we're going to be telling each other the same stories we've each heard. Oh, yeah. I told the story about learning to ride a bike because... I, we've probably told this story already too that we grew up on the same street for five years mm-hmm. and yet didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, you know, we were walking around the reservoir that was like the one we always walked around as kids. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, it's bringing up like memories because we haven't really walked around there in a while. Um, <laughs> and then I told that story about learning to ride a bike and you're like, oh, I love that story. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how many times have I told you this story? We're, you're going to tell me that story like 12 more times yeah, probably. at least. You're very gracious about just hearing it again. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I love talking with you. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so nice. Something I want to c- circle back to just quickly that you mentioned, you said like you don't really tinker anymore. Why do you think you don't do that anymore? Because you, I, I take it you, you used to enjoy tinkering. I, I, yeah, I re- particularly with film and with writing. Like my grandma gave me a typewriter and then I loved using that and mm-hmm. and like like exploring the things I was interested in artistically, which was primarily writing. Story I was just I guess I was just interested in storytelling and I was mm-hmm. interested in doing that through and it's interesting because in my own writing I don't write fiction. Like I tend to write creative nonfiction. Um 
And I was much more interested in doing like documentary film than I was in doing um, making a feature film or writing a script of any kind. Uh, and I even looked into for a while when I um, was trying to decide what to do after high school. It might have even been once we were together, uh, like, or maybe it was in the my like limbo years where I felt really lonely and so many of my friends had like moved on to college and I hadn't done it yet. I was still living at home in, no, I guess not this home yet. Um, but I looked into like a program in Toronto that was like a one-year program on like how to make documentary film. Like I considered doing that. Mm-hmm. You bought me a video camera mm-hmm. a handful of years ago and never used it. Mm-hmm. But that's what I mean. Like, I, you know what I think? I think, I don't know, maybe I just gotten scared mm. of like, you know, I, and maybe feeling a bit like a fraud. Like, you know, I call myself a writer, but I so rarely write. Um, right. I call my, you know, I, I'm interested in film and I'm using quotation marks right now. But then like, when was the last time I picked up a camera and did anything? And like, I don't really feel like I have any, like I haven't been taught how to do any of these things. So like, who am I to do them? And then I also just think like, you know, Instagram and text messages and so many books to read and, you know, like just, and work gets in the way. Mm. And I've had a, you know, we've had a couple series of hard years in the summer where like that probably would have been a time where I could have hunkered down and done something creative. Mm Mm-hmm. And just my mind was filled with other things. But, you know, yeah. But now we're doing this podcast thing. That's really cool. But that make, that makes me sad. Yeah. Like, uh, I just think, I mean, on the one hand, it warms my heart that you used to be somebody who would creatively tinker. Mm-hmm. And now a combination of just life and culture, society, um, and and just kind self of self-consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Just getting kind of stuck in your head a little bit. And I also just think I moved into, I worked really hard in university. Mm-hmm. And originally. I can attest to this. Yeah. yeah you're, worked, you're a killer student. I worked really hard. And I loved it. But I worked really hard. Like when I was in university and I was in university for six and a half years. That was my life. Like I was committed to that. Mm-hmm. And originally I th- you know, my original, original plan was to go to Ryerson and do journalism. And I got accepted. Well, I got conditional acceptance, didn't get in, and then got in the next year. Um, and then I didn't do that. And that would have been kind of like this, right? It would have been writing, but nonfiction writing. Like, you know, the idea of either creative nonfiction memoir style writing or documentary. I'm always, I've always been interested in doing creative stuff that's more about things that are real and, and, and what Sarah Paul is looking at this intersection between the real and the unreal and understanding that nothing fiction is true and false and documentary is true and false. And just, I was really interested in that, but then I decided not to go there. And then I thought I was going to do an English degree, um, which I think in my mind was more creative than it probably would have been. But then I took a gender studies class and I fell in love with it and switched that to my degree. But my plan was still, and we, you and I had talked about this a lot, that in my third year I would apply to UBC. We would move out to Vancouver and I would do the creative writing program there that doesn't start until your third year. Mm-hmm. And the year I would have been getting my portfolio ready, my dad died. Right, and yeah. my first niece, our first niece was born and I just didn't feel ready to leave. And, um, and I threw myself so much into academic school you know, I did the honors route. I wrote a thesis that like that's where all my energy was channeled. And the readings I was doing were theory. Like I and 
there's of course creativity in that, but I think I didn't have the time or space to foster the other side of my, my like interests in writing and creating. And I was so focused on the like academic, theoretical, intellectual, not that other things aren't those things that that's just where I went. And I, I think I do it really well. Yeah. I think I'm really strong in it. And while there may be a sadness of having not done those other things as much, I think it's really impressive what I have done. I I agree. Yep. And then, and you know what I did post for a lot of that time, I was a research assistant and I was, I co-authored a paper with one of my uh, professors and she was my honors advisor. Um, I, you know, I did a lot of like more heavy duty research assistant work. I wasn't just doing photocopying. Like I was helping to edit. I was um, reading other papers and then helping um, the professors like see if they were worth their time to read based on what I knew their work was about. This might not be interesting to anyone but me, but like, I think, I think there's an, it's impressive that too. And there's still time for me to do other creative things. Maybe the video camera comes out this summer and I make some kind of interesting documentary film. <laughs> or even just like film the birds that are in our, <laughs> yeah, our new area. heard from a lot of people that our new neighborhood has great birds. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. yeah. Like I, I don't know. I just, I am immensely proud of you oh, and everything that you've done. I know how hard you've worked. I know the sacrifices you've made. I know the things that you've gone through. Mm. Um, and I know that your your own creativity like you're just like in your personal time has definitely taken a back seat mm. um but i'm i'm grateful that we're doing this together because yeah. i think that this is a really good way to kind of talk about recognize those things and i don't know uh, yeah i don't know i'm just like i'm really happy that you shared all the things that you just shared and it's like a really good I think it's a good reflection point for both of us to, you know, I know that you love writing mm -hmm. and yeah, like maybe once we're in this new home where, and like things have calmed down and you're entering like your summer off that maybe, yeah, like a little bit more of that can happen and it doesn't have to be forced or like, or anything like that. I don't know. Tinker a bit more. Re refine my tinkering. Yeah. That was just, that stuck out with me, the tinkering bit and yeah, you're a tinkerer. Yeah, like I, I think <laughs> that I've kind of been like given that sort of title of tinkerer of the two of us. Mm -hmm. But to hear that like that's what you would do when you were younger, like I, w I would love to see you be able to to revisit that in some form or another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that those, was that those, was long winded and really took a different hey, direction. Those but, are the stories we tell. The, oh, wow. You brought it back around. <laughs> Okay, so in this, I was like, we're not going to have much to talk about. Just kidding. We find a way. Um, how did Sarah Polly's documentary, Stories We Tell, make you feel? Um, it made me feel like a little bit complicated emotionally because mm -hmm. like, I feel like the story about their family is complicated and families are complicated. Mm -hmm. So like, it's, it's very truthful and honest. Um, in that storytelling but like also like it just got me emotionally mm -hmm. like there yeah there was just some real real feelings that were happening but it also it made me feel inspired creatively mm -hmm. like I think what uh, what Sarah Polly did here was just really awesome and she did it you know she did a documentary her way mm -hmm. and that might not be everybody's way of wanting to 
you know, make something super accessible and something in the vein of what a lot of the documentaries Netflix prompts out. There's a different version of this that's just about the gasping moments. Yeah, making it more salacious and more dramatic. And it's not that, and I think that's great. Yeah, Uh, so I I love the the restraint of doing something like that and just wanting to focus on the intimacy uh, of her family and and uh, how it how it functioned in this history and whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah, how are I, you? I echo those thoughts. It, it made me really reflective, I think, because, yeah, this is, you know, something that I think there's a, a different version of this that I could be inspired to make about my own family mm-hmm. um, and, and my dad's story. It made me feel really moved. I, I really thought it was beautiful the way she paid tribute to her mom and, and her family without being judgmental, um, but also being willing to look at the ugly and difficult parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just really moving in a, in a complicated way yep. and sad at times. Yep. It was really lovely. It was really, really good. I, I definitely will revisit this. And Hannah reminded me that like, oh yeah, I, I like documentaries, but I look at them with a critical lens. Like I look at everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and obviously like it, uh, it inspired a lot of introspection yeah. for both of us, mm-hmm. which is, which is great. And I think that that it's kind of the product of a good movie, but also a good documentary. I definitely want to check out her memoir now because, you know, I think that that could definitely creatively inspire me as well. So yeah. <laughs> the next movie's very oh, different. Oh my goodness. I, I don't know that we're going to have much to say about this, but we'll <laughs> see. So um, my mystery movie pick, my next one was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom <laughs> from 1984, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by George Lucas, uh, Willard Huck and Gloria Katz. It stars a very babely Harrison Ford as yes. Indiana Jones. Agreed. Woohoo. Uh, Kate Capshaw's Willie Scott. And the whole reason I wanted to watch mm-hmm. this, Kihi Kwan as Short Round. Mm-hmm. This was his first movie. Oh, it was before the Goonies. Yeah. The Goonies came out in 85, I think. Uh, synopsis for you. Uh, after arriving in India, Indiana Jones is asked by a desperate village to find a mystical stone. He agrees and stumbles upon <laughs> a secret cult plotting a terrible plan in the catacombs of an ancient palace. <sighs> okay, so here, here's the thing about this movie. Um, like I said, I wanted to watch it because Kihi Kwan is just... I think about him at least twice a day. Ever since everything, <laughs> everywhere, all at once. Yeah, you rewatch. You made you made me rewatch one of the like. Somebody's thrown a couple of like couple of scenes of everything, everywhere on uh, YouTube, and I have one favorited that I rewatch every day. Every day. Yep. So far. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a part of your daily routine. Yes, big time. So, I grew up watching this movie. Um, I was watching it probably when I was too young to be watching it. I think I was watching it when I was like three or four. I, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like it was always one of the ones that was on in the background on repeat. And I had so much fun with that. Not realizing the problems that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, fair. How and, would three-year-old you know that? And Especially in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and going into this, I knew that you didn't really like Indiana Jones or just action movies in general. Yeah. Um, and I think in the past, and you reconfirmed that for me, is that you had seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is the first Indiana Jones movie. Maybe. And you'd seen 
uh, or at least some of the fa- famous scenes from that movie. And you've se- and you've seen the Last Crusade. The Which thir- one has River Phoenix in it? The third one, Last Crusade. So I've seen it only because I substituted for like the one semester that I was a substitute teacher. I substituted a class that was watching it. Yeah. Uh, so like, so like, I guess I've seen it. That one. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that Last Crusade is better than that's the third Temple one. of Doom. Yeah, sure. Um, but like, it's it really doesn't matter. This movie is kind of its <laughs> own thing. What did you think of this one? Uh, I mean, yeah, I didn't like it. Um, for a vast number of reasons, like. We can, tell. <laughs> we can just say it's racist. Yeah. And like, it's not like there's just like one terribly racist moment, like the friggin' scene in Licorice Pizza. Like, why are you including that? Yeah. But it's a consistent and I think dangerously damaging thing. Like for, you know, when I think of you, little a little white boy in the 90s watching this movie, the potential damage that has for what you might grow up thinking about people from India and people from, um, are they in Japan or China at the beginning of the movie? I, th- yeah, I think I think they're in Beijing. Okay, but short round is uh, he he was in Japan when Indiana Jones found him. They mentioned yes. Japan at one point. Yes, I think that's right. Um, yeah, and really not great. Really, really not great. Um, so I really struggle with action adventure movies particularly mm-hmm. um i try i try really hard but i've talked about this before on the show and that's that i'm not really a plot person yes i'm an emotion and character person and even with character it's about the emotions of the characters and when an action i feel like it's more common that an action action adventure movie just has kind of nothing characters they're just tropes they're just archetypes Mm -hmm. um that rely on like our understanding of the outlaw or the whatever to just go along with it um and it's all plot yeah like it's singularly plot and i just i just find that boring even when i try like i was like oh yeah i don't really like indiana jones and i've like kind of like with the princess bride like i've seen it but i've not really seen it i haven't really sat down and I, I watched one of them in school when I was in grade six. I don't know which one it was. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever watched one at home. If I have, I don't remember it. Again, like remember, like my family didn't really watch stuff from the 80s and this is from the 80s. Um, so I thought it was boring. Like I thought it was racist. And then even without that, I thought it was boring. because I just didn't feel any stakes or any connection to any of the characters. Mm. And I asked you at one point, like, does it matter that I haven't seen the first one? And you said no. I'm curious if that's true. Like, is there more characterization of Indiana Jones in the first one such that I might care more about him in the second one? Is there more background, more of an understanding of where he came from, what's at stake for him, who he is, what his what his like moral compass is, what he believes in? Yeah, I mean, I might walk that, me making that comment back a little bit. Like, yes, you kind of get a better sense of like him being a professor. Because I didn't know any of him that. Him being an archaeologist. Like you, we had to pause the movie and you had to explain things to me because I was like, like why, <laughs> what's he doing with these diamonds in China? What's he doing with this stone in India? Like what's going, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and why does he want these things? And you're like, he's an archaeologist. I'm like, yeah, but then why does he have this like whip? 
Like I just don't <laughs> like I just don't understand. And they kind of explain the whip in the third one very oh, loosely. Not in the first one. <laughs> no, okay. no, no, no. Homeboy just packs Has a, a whip. whip. Okay. Um so I didn't get any of that. Yeah. And then and there's like a few like tips of the cap to like things he does in the first one in this one. That I don't understand. Yeah, but it's like like it's has no bearing on the plot. At the same time though, you told me that Kihi Kwan's character of Short Round isn't in the first or the third one. No. And Kate Capshaw's character of Willie Scott is not in the first or the third one. No. So like I have a problem with that. Like why am I supposed to care about any of these characters? There's this like beautiful relationship between Short Round and Indy in this movie and then like it just has no like is that character even mentioned in the third one? But the third one, is it a prequel? part of it is okay yeah because river phoenix is young indiana jones that's right okay um so yeah like okay because i was trying to think like i kind of sometimes make these grand statements of like i don't like action adventure movies and you once i was gonna say tricked you didn't trick me you got me to agree to watch uh big trouble little china because the character's name was jack burton which like my grandpa's name is jack on my mom's side so not last name burton and then of course my last name's burton so i was like cool um and I didn't like that one. Don't remember it really well. But hey. I love Pirates of the Caribbean. That's an action adventure movie. Yeah. But that is an action adventure movie with stakes and with characters and with emotions. And I haven't seen all of them. I haven't seen the last Pirates of the Caribbean. But like, I really like the second one. Third one's fine. Fourth one, I don't, I recall not liking. First one's really good. First one's amazing. I've seen it so many times. We rewatched it like not that long ago and it was still really good. But, like, in the second one, it's the same characters, right? It's Elizabeth, and it's Will, and it's Jack, and, like, it's not like, oh, it's just Jack Sparrow. I think that's more what's going on in, like, the fourth one, perhaps, and it's like, well, then why do I care? So I could feel that in this movie, even without having seen the first and the third one, that, like, none of this will matter after this movie, and it's just an adventure. Well, it's like like James Bond, right? I don't like James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen two James Bond movies, one of the new ones with Daniel Craig, the first one. Yep. You had me, you like asked me to watch it and I, I tried. Yeah. Well, I mean, I watched it. I tried to be open to it. I didn't like it. Um, and then. And I've, like, funnily enough, the Daniel Craig series, I think I haven't, I haven't seen all of them, but I think that they actually. Are the most emotionally invested. And connected and have yeah. recurring characters. I mean, I want to see the new one because Rami Malek's in it, but who knows if I ever will. And then I've seen one of the ones. I watched one in a comparative literature class in university and I did not like it. Do you know who the James Bond was? I want to say it was Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. But well, it might have been Sean Connery. <laughs> Is he was he a James Bond? He's the first James okay. Bond. Okay. So there's a lot of James Bonds in between those two. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't remember. I didn't like it, so I don't remember. I mean it was interesting from a study standpoint because we were studying like genre. Yeah. Um and we like read a James Bond short story and then watched the movie and then compared them um so yeah, like this just even if this was the best movie in the world that wasn't racist and sexist, like which to me it's not. To me it's pretty boring and pretty stakeless. Like of course people are going to prevail. Of course Indy's going to be a hero. Of course he's going to fall in love and then apparently never have that woman be in his life again, right? Like it was just weird. Yeah. He Kwan was cute though. Yeah, here, here, here are my thoughts. Kikwan is like, he kills it in this movie. He's yeah. so good. Even in like the scenes where he's kind of just kind of a background character, he's still acting. Like he's still putting on a good performance in the background. 
And he has some, I feel like he brings the most emotional heft. Uh, and like heft is a strong word, yeah. but like there's a few emotional beats with yes. him that like are really affecting. Yeah, and they're sweet. Really nice. Um, you were telling me that there's been chatter. I don't know how real it is. I, so I, I look, I, I'm wrong. Okay, but I'm going to say it anyway because okay. I think that it would be so cool is that they would make kind of like an offshoot grown-up short round movie. I would watch that in a so, heartbeat yeah, with, th- with Kihi Kwan. I thought I read that people were like kind of suggesting that he, that there was some talks about him being a grown-up short round and becoming like the Indiana Jones figure. Like short round is that like, it's a, like a legacy movie. Um but what I think, and, and and possibly somebody did say that on Reddit, and I, and I was like, cool, that's cool. But I like interpreted it as being like actually in talks. I've actually looked it up since then, and what has happened is Kwan has said I would be open to being in an Indiana Jones movie, but Indiana Jones Five has already shot, and he was not in it. Yeah. So he's like he and has said, hey, I would be interested, but from everything he said in interviews we've watched for everything ever all at once, I think he would not make this movie. I think he would refuse to be in a racist, appropriative, one-dimensional movie. Yeah, I I don't want any of that. I just want, and I don't want George Lucas to write it. I don't want <laughs> Steven Spielberg to direct it. I just yeah. want, I want somebody who is, uh, give it to the Daniels. I don't care. <laughs> the Daniels and, make Indiana Jones. <laughs> and they make a short round standalone film in the Indiana Jones universe where he's an adult and he's way better than any, any, any iteration of Indiana Jones. And don't have... Don't have Short Round be the cameo in an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Have Indiana Jones be the cameo mm. in the Short Round mm. movie. Well, that would be a, that would be what more of a legacy movie is, right? Where yep. we're like moving on. I, I I will. I also need to say the character of Willie Scott is one of the worst written women characters. Like this is an example of men who don't know how to write women. Ladies like diamonds. Ladies like diamonds and ladies hate bugs. <laughs> yeah. And ladies want you to kiss them, but they want to pretend that they don't. I mean, right? Like what? Yeah. I mean, and honestly, no judgment to people who love this movie or grew up loving this movie, but like I, I think it's important to acknowledge problems in movies. Mm-hmm. And I think we can say there's lots of movies I love that I'm like, yeah, it's poorly written or it's, you know, it's messed up in its representation of something or many things. Or like one of the actors in it is a real piece of scum in real life. Or it's Roman Polanski, right? <laughs> um, but to just get upset because someone is pointing out issues with a film you like, I think is silly. Yeah. Like, so, I don't think any of the things we're saying, other than me saying I find action adventure boring, which is like, if you love action adventure, like that's fine to feel like I'm wrong. We can like different things. Well, he, here's the thing for me. And I, Daniel Kwan, one of the, one of the Daniels mm-hmm. um, was speaking about this. And I think that this applies to my feelings about this is I loved this movie growing up. Mm-hmm. I think that it'll always hold a nostalgia, nostalgic piece of my heart. But I think that I might be putting this movie to bed. Mm. And I think that I, the thing that Daniel Kwan speaks about is allowing ourselves to change our minds mm. and that that should be celebrated. Mm. Is that, you know, it's similar to like Quentin Tarantino movies. Mm-hmm. I will always love a lot of his movies but I recognize that, you know, Quentin Tarantino is not the best person. And the way he goes about telling some of his stories is not the the best way to go about telling those stories. But I think that 
I am allowed to change my mind and my perspective about these things that I once loved or, or things that I hold near and dear to my heart. And there's a, there's a little bit of bravery in that, mm. especially for something as beloved as uh, a movie that we watched when we were kids mm-hmm. and has and holds that nostalgia for us. So, yeah, I think just like instead yeah. of, yeah, instead of jumping down somebody's throat when they say that they don't like that anymore or that they don't like that to begin with, I think please be kind. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I also think there's something equally okay about being like, this is such an important film to me. And I recognize some of the issues or I've, some things don't sit with me the same way they used to, but it's, it's still a movie I really like. That's okay too. Mm -hmm. Um, And in general, I mean, any, any movie we talk about here on this show or or in life, because man, we be having conversations with people about movies now, even more than we were before. (laughs) Yeah. These are my lunch hours and after schools, which is lovely. I'm just talking about movies all the time. Yeah. Um, I love when people have different thoughts and opinions and feelings about movies than I do. I'm yeah. I'm excited when someone likes a movie I didn't like and can tell me what they liked about it. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna like it, but I'm so excited to hear what they did like about it and, and what the differences between us are and, and and why these different kinds of films exist to to fill the emotional connections for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know there's movies that I deeply love that other people don't. And and I, I would hope that other people might be interested. I mean, I think if you're listening to our show, there's probably already been times where you disagree and there's a movie we loved that you really didn't or a movie that we hated that you really loved. And hopefully you're just interested in in hearing about how particular movies connect or don't connect with us without feeling that that has to color the way it does or does not connect with you. Yeah. Like we have friends who really liked Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And I love hearing about why they really liked it. And I, I you know, I'm now more open to revisiting it. I yeah. kind of was like, mm, I'm not going to watch it. Now I'm like, you know what? Maybe I will revisit it. So that's, yeah. To quote Wayman Wang, please be kind. And also like be, I, I am interested to hear when people don't like the same things as me as a conversation, not a way to try and prove anybody wrong. Yeah. Because our thoughts and feelings are true to us to go back to what Sarah Polly was saying in her documentary. Yeah. Cause like, I don't think that that makes you wrong unless you say that you don't like everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> then you're wrong. Then you are wrong. <laughs> it's the one, <laughs> the one we, the one we will say you're wrong about. Um, before we move on, I just want to say one thing I did really like is there's some good gore in this movie. Like, I think if I had seen this as a kid, I might have liked it because the gore would have been like sparking my love for horror, but in like in a, a way that's more appropriate for a child. I think that this was another one in the pantheon of Steven Spielberg associated movies that pushed the PG-13 rating. Mm, oh, yeah. I was like, this. So some of this far. stuff is like freaky oh yeah scary but like exciting well this is the thing i'm watching it when i'm like three years old yeah it's not appropriate for me to be watching but man i like i i liked it yeah totally (laughs) totally um but to cap it all off how to make you feel okay so for me and i totally understand that many people feel the exact opposite i felt stunningly bored (laughs) despite trying really hard to be engaged Mm mm-hmm and I felt pretty crappy about the way people of color and whole cultures were being portrayed. Yes. But I really enjoyed seeing the joy Ki Kwan clearly has and has always had for acting mm-hmm. be on the screen. And I do feel like I can speak more to Indiana Jones now. When I say I don't like the movies, I actually have a leg to stand on now. Yes. So that's how it made me feel. 
What about you? I think that's really great. I, I echo that too. And I think that this viewing of it gave me closure. Mm. Like I'm, I'm happy to have watched it. We're not watching one, three and four now. Um, I might want to revisit <laughs> one and three. Oh, you put it to bed. <laughs> I'm not going to, re- I'm not going to rewatch four. Okay. Um, but I'd like to rewatch one and three with you and then, yeah. Few and, like far between though. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not back to back to back. No, but yeah, I think I'm done with Temple of Doom. Okay. And all of the things that I liked about it, namely Kwan, I'll just look those clips up online. Totally. And I'll just watch his bits. Totally. Um, and that'll give me my fix for this for this movie. Yeah. All right. Let's let's go to the next one, which is like this is the last movie that we watched in our house. In our Yeah. And we were so tired. So tired. Your eyes were your eyes were heavy. The, yep. <laughs> those lids, those lids had weights on them. Ooh, struggled to keep those puppies open. So yeah, we watched this on Friday night when we like <laughs> we're trying to make sure we watched enough movies to have something to talk about. I was like, <laughs> yeah. we have to watch at least four. Meanwhile, we've talked for it's an like, hour about two movies. So maybe we could just watch two. It's like eleven PM. We have to wake up early to move. <laughs> yeah. We gotta watch a movie. <laughs> so you had suggested you were like, it's Friday the thirteenth, we should watch something spooky. Spooky. And I, you know, we we'd watched a movie and sometimes more than one every day in October. And so some of even though that was a while ago. Some of the movies I might have picked, like Nightmare on Elm Street or Texas Chainsaw, like we've just recently watched them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to pick something that wasn't super long because it was <laughs> after 11 and we had to wake up at 7 to move. Um, so I ended up picking Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I thought both hit the quality of being horror enough for Friday the 13th, but also was pretty fun. Mm. Um, So Shaun of the Dead came out in 2004. It was directed by Edgar Wright, written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, starring the typical cast, Simon Pegg as Shaun, Nick Frost as Ed, Kate Ashfield as Liz, Lucy Davis from the UK office as Diane, and Dylan Moran as David. Um, I love this synopsis. Usually I'm getting like, picking apart the synopsis, but Mm -hmm. I really like this one. The uneventful, aimless lives of a London electronics salesman and his layabout roommate are disrupted by the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So good. Whoever wrote that. I love that. Beautiful. Um, I've seen this movie so many times. Mm -hmm. And you have too. Not as much as you though. Really? Yeah. I've seen this. I went through a real like all things British (laughs) phase um, in high school and yeah, I really liked this movie. So I picked it because I thought it would be fun. And I thought it still fit the Friday the 13th theme-ish. Um, what did you think? Um, so I don't know if you knew this, but you showed me this movie. You had never seen it before? No. I mean, I, I, mean, I probably do know that, but I had completely forgotten. No. So yeah, it came on. Had you seen Hot Fuzz? No, you showed what? me that too. What? And I've only How seen do it, I not remember this? I've only seen it once. The first time you showed what? it to me. Seen that movie so many times. Did you like it? Yeah. Did you like Shaun of the Dead when I showed it to you? Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Okay. So How like, do I not remember this? So it came out in 2004. So I was 14. Yeah. And I think that like it was always on my radar. Like I I knew of Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. I knew people love Shaun of the Dead. And like I I had no like hangups about seeing it. I mean, you I, just didn't. I was just like, I'll get around to it. Um. So Shaun of the Dead, not as ubiquitous as I think it is. No, I think that like people. It's kind of known that Shaun of the Dead is awesome. Okay. I'm just like, just shout out from the start here. If you haven't seen Shaun of the Dead, 
do. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's very good. Yeah, like it's I mean, it it checks so many boxes for yeah. me. Like the British humor is my yeah. jam. Just playing off of horror tropes is my jam. Yeah. Um self-aware horror comedy can be some of the best. Yeah, it's it's so good. And like now watching this, re-watching this in 2022, it's still funny. It's still hilarious. Oh yeah. There's and like the the gore is impressive. Yeah. The and using gore and horror as um, a vehicle for humor mm-hmm. is great. Um, there's some great cinematography in here, mm-hmm. like very much. Um, I mean, it's got some wonners, and I love me a wonner. But it it just has so many shades of the. Edgar Wright isms from like Scott Pilgrim that and he, Baby Driver, yeah, that I really have come to love from mm-hmm. Edgar Wright, I, and but, I really yeah. want. It makes me like this. Also, uh, reminded me that I I really am curious now, even more so to to see Last Night in Soho, to see mm-hmm. how much of that he might employ here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we tend to we tend to quite like his movies. Yeah, but what is actually kind of hit me this time was that it has some like pretty strong emotional beats. There is an emotional through line to this movie that's I think as strong as the comedy and um horror satire. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's quite impressive. And I felt that this time. Like there so speaking to in contrast to what I found lacking in Indiana Jones Despite this being what could have easily just been like a hollow shtick of like haha zombie move, zombie comedy, yeah, the character of Sean is really to me fully fleshed, haha, pun, pun intended. Um, and like he has a clear inner conflict that drives the movie, and the zombie stuff is just as the synopsis says disrupts this like journey he's on and he has mm-hmm. to try he is so focused on still trying to you know grow and and have these connections that he's kind of lost despite the zombie apocalypse having happened it's very it's very impressive yeah yeah no i i think that i think that it's this movie's executed very well and i feel like it came I feel like it might be a little bit before, before its time, like both yeah. in the scheme of the zombie horror yep. genre, kind of um, what's the word like renaissance that started happening. <laughs> the zombie renaissance. <laughs> renaissance in the like mid two thousands to yeah. to twenty tens. Yeah, yeah, like it kind of was at the very beginning of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just like in terms of good satire movies as well yes which is also what hot fuzz is and um to an extent scott pilgrim yeah um i i want to revisit the world's end yeah we've only seen it once and i remember being disappointed in it but i actually saw somebody on reddit say somebody had asked the question what's a movie that you were first disappointed in but liked more the more you watched it and somebody said the world's end and i was like "Mm, maybe i should revisit it too i mean we've started rewatching we could have potentially started rewatching the Cornetto trilogy so ah, I mean knowing you've only seen Hot Fuzz once I've wanted Interest- to rewatch it for years now, interesting so. I'm interested in how it'll play out with like how the discourse around cops has shaped the world <laughs> um but 
I this is blowing my mind that you haven't I just just I I'm guess I'm just so self-centered here because I just assume you've seen this movie as many times as I have because I this is a comfort movie for me I guess the way Indiana Jones I know you've put that to bed but at some points in your life probably was a comfort movie to you this is a comfort movie to me like that's why I put it on on a stressful night when like we retired I'm just like I know this movie like the back of my hand like I know all the beats it felt so fresh when I first saw it like it felt like unlike anything I'd ever seen before and I'm sure it wasn't or maybe it was but it sure felt like it you know, it was hilarious. It was witty and smart. It was gory. It played off of horror, which I loved horror so much. So you could kind of get your horror fixed without watching a real, like a, a full scary movie. Mm-hmm. Um, then, of course, because of that, it does feel a little dated in that like Twin Peaks effect way of, I think it sparked or was a part of the beginning, like you said, of a series of films that were kind of highly stylized with like, you know, the quick shots and the and the wittiness and the, you know, all of that. But it's so very good. The opening scene is so good. The scene mm-hmm. with the jukebox is so good. Um, I love how it plays on what we know about zombies. And before we got that zombie burnout that so many of us got, um, now that we've seen Night of the Living Dead, <laughs> did you read online that like um, her name is, his mom's name is Barbara? Because oh. that's her name in Night of the Living Dead. No, and great. the line, we're coming to get you, Barbara, is a line from Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> that's so good. Um, See, so yeah, good. It's just like, it has such an understanding of the zombie movie genre and like tropes. Like, I love, I love the scene where he's just like coming into the room in the beginning of the movie, walking out of bed. And, he- <laughs> and they have like, they, they pan up from his feet, which are doing like this zombie like shamble towards camera. And you hear like this groaning and it just pans up to him like yawning and getting out of bed. So good. And it just like subverts expectations of what you would think you're about to see, which is a zombie. Uh, Well, then you've got that on your mind the whole time. Like, because it's playing off that idea from the get go of like, how are we zombies already? Yeah. And then it's like, it's brilliant. The opening scene is brilliant. You're right. So at any given time, you're looking and being like, is that a zombie or is that not a zombie? Um, very good. And I, I love a satire that clearly loves the thing it's satirizing. Yes. Like it's not mean spirited. It's like we're going to have fun with this thing that we love because the good zombie movies have already been made. So we're just going to make a different version of that and show yeah. you our love for it through satire. Yeah. So good. Like while I've never seen them, I, I kind of take that as like, you know, like the date movie or the like the epic movie or the superhero movie, like those satire movies that came out. Yeah. Like I feel like it's coming from a bit of these movies suck yeah Yeah. like look at like look how dumb they are but it's that's that's not that's not our vibe i don't think like yeah like you said like coming at it from a positive celebratory um fanatic kind of standpoint fanatic is that like fanat to i mean it probably is right but when i hear fanatic it just feels to me like like over the top crazed yeah. Like you're saying to be that, a fan of. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. It's, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to know now. supposed to know. I mean, speaking of things that suck while you're looking that up, um, Ed sucks. Oh, man. I yeah. feel like I used to think he was like funnier, you know, like the deadbeat roommate who like farts a lot. And like, this is not funny, cute farts like in um, Good Morning. Is that what that movie's called? Yes. Um, It's just gross. 
Yes. And I feel like that that part of the movie hasn't aged as well with me where I'm just like, Ed sucks as a roommate. Like, Liz is right. Yeah. Get that guy to clean up and pay rent and take messages. Like, why do you care about him so much? Yeah. But I cannot spoil it. One of my, oh, one of my favorite lines in any movie ever happens between the two of them. <laughs> it has to do with handing someone a beer. So good. So good. <laughs> so wholesome. So the word fanatic uses the word zeal in the description, which led me. So that took me to the word zeal, which is a dedication or enthusiasm for something. Okay. So I, I'm not. I just think connotatively to put my English teacher hat on. <laughs> my students are going to hate hearing this if they're listening. I'm always like, but connotatively, what do we think of when we think of that word? Connotatively, I hear the word fanatic and I think like to be fanatic about something is to be so over the top. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. I mean, you're, we're both right. Truth is subjective. The truth is subjective. The truth is out there, though. <laughs> <laughs> we are a tangenty mess today. Yes. Um, so should we continue? Let's. Uh, this movie's great. Yes. It's funny. It's gory. It's clever. It was really fresh for its time. Um, to me, it's really comforting, really unfortunate use of a racial slur that I wish they would take out of the movie and is completely unnecessary. Um, that really disappoints me and disappoints me that I never, I think if you're not watching it with subtitles, it actually would be really easy to miss, especially if you're like, you're not somebody who lives in England, so you don't hear a British accent a lot. Um, but I think you could probably re-edit the movie and take it out. Yeah. Um, at the risk of everybody hating us for talking about racism too much this episode, but, uh, (laughs) We just watched a lot of racist stuff this week. Yeah. Yep. What can we say? So how did this movie make you feel? To what you were saying, it kind of put me at ease just because mm-hmm. it's like that easy comfort food kind of movie. And I, it was a good choice for 11 o'clock at night. After the TV, a For the day. last movie that we watched in the home that we thought would be our home forever. Yeah. It was, it was a great pick. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of, it, it kind of gave me like a little bit of nostalgia just for like when you originally showed it to me and just kind of it was like pretty early on in our relationship i think um when we watched it for the first time i don't even remember i'm so great you yeah nailed it (laughs) so good um how'd you feel about it i have comforted nostalgic and warm yeah that's that's and that's what i was looking for i'm like you know sometimes actually horror movies do provide me a lot of comfort and nostalgia because I just, I love them so much. If I put on Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street or even The Conjuring or anything like that, I, like, I'm not scared. I'm just like... I'm not scared. I'm not scared, I swear. <laughs> um, but I just didn't... Fe- that wasn't the type of comfort I was looking for. I, I needed a warm embrace instead of, like, a cold comfort. Mm, yeah. um, speaking of things that did not make me feel comforted or warm... <laughs> Why don't you tell us about our last movie of the week? So my last mystery movie pick of the week was the movie The Death of Dick Long from 2019. It was directed by Daniel Scheinert, so one of the two Daniels behind Everything Everywhere All at Once, and written by Billy Chu. Uh, It stars Michael Abbott Jr. as Zeke, uh, Andre Highland as Earl, Virginia Newcomb as Lydia, and Daniel Scheinert himself as Dick Long. Um, The... You were talking about the synopsis that you just read for Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I got a great one. Is this from, one from IMDb? No, this one's from Apple TV. Okay. It, I might also read you the IMDb one because it's great too. I was going between the two. Okay. Apple TV won out for me. So, okay. Holy crap. Dick is dead. Died last night after band practice. And his bandmates, Zeke and Earl, 
don't want anybody finding out how. That's too bad, though, because news travels fast in the small town of Alabama, and these guys suck at covering their tracks. The <laughs> authorities haven't ID'd the body just yet, but Zeke's wife and his daughter are suspicious already. <laughs> yeah, that is a better synopsis yeah. for sure. The IMDb with, version it is starts just, with holy crap. <laughs> it's a that's amazing. Again, so whoever wrote that three of the four synopsises today, top notch. Um, the IMDb one is just like a less fun version of that. Yeah. Yeah. Good synopsis. Yeah, love it. I picked this one just because I I wanted to I wanted to support Dan Shiner and check out something else that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, mine is Daniel Kwan, and this poster is just always stuck <laughs> stuck in my mind. Quite the poster. It's hilarious. Um, it would be a good poster to buy and put uh, paired beside our portrait of a lady on fire poster. <laughs> yes. Contrasting posters, <laughs> contrasting movies. Oh my god, so good! Double feature uh, portrait of a lady on fire and this movie. Yeah. Um, and it's a twenty four. Yeah. So. All on board for A24. What'd you think of the death of Dick Long? <laughs> so I had heard of it because of looking up uh, like what else the Daniels have done. And of course, as is important to note, Daniel Kwan, uh, from everything I understand, he's not involved in this movie at all other right. than he's in the thank yous at the end. One of the reasons we like to watch till the end of the credits. Um, I didn't really know anything about it, though, other than that Daniel Shiner had made yeah. it and that Daniel Kwan wasn't involved in it. Yeah, me neither. Um First three quarters of this film have like that signature Shiner slash Daniels humor, but in like a more hyper real way. Yes. Like it is absurd, but the absurdity is real. Yes. It's real life absurdity. Not that their other movies aren't real life absurdity, but I mean, Swiss Army Man is a farting talking corpse. Yeah. And everything everywhere at once has hot dog fingers. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... That uses that surreal absurdity to comment on the real, I think, mm-hmm. in Swiss Army Man and Everything Ever All at Once. Whereas this uses the absurdity of real life. Yeah. To talk about how surreal real life can be, I think. Hey, um, that's, that's good. Yeah. See, this is my six and a half years of kicking it at university. I love it. Yeah. Keep going. Um, okay. So, yeah. Three, first three quarters of the film, I laughed a lot. Uh had my hands on my forehead being like no a lot why are you doing this right i'm just like what the hell yeah Yeah. so to that point i found i i like to look up after i watch a movie what letterbox lists it's on this one is on a list called don't do it (laughs) Uh, other movies on this list the original evil dead raising arizona uncut gems and good time and red rocket yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like don't do it in the sense that you're sitting there and you're Being just like, like come on don't, don't do, do it. it yeah totally yeah perfect that's that's perfect i know i was like whoever made this list genius yeah um i don't know that don't do it movies are the ones that ultimately connect with me because when i look at that list yeah those are all movies i like but don't love yeah um raising arizona is probably the one i that i get the closest to loving yeah um but i like all of them but they're not the ones that ultimately are my favorite. So yeah, first three quarters, funny, and and also the don't do it. But then it takes a really dark turn that I don't think either of us saw coming. And we can't talk about or we'd spoil it. Yeah. Other than to say, like, really viewer beware, because it's very upsetting. Yes. It's very dark. And I don't think it's played for laughs. No. Um... Yeah, I don't think it's meant to be funny, but I'm also like just not really sure what they're trying to say with it. 
Yeah. It is a twist unlike any other twist I've seen before. And. Yeah, it's like almost on par with Incendies, but Incendies was like well, more gut heavy than this. What? It, but it was, yeah, it was tough to watch this series of bad decisions. Yeah. By our main character. I wouldn't even call them protagonists. <laughs> and, like. I mean, in the literal sense, yes. But, yes. Uh, pro in in no sense of the word not thumbs up pro or professional pro yeah like i was thinking i was kind of thinking about like their character traits especially like zeke who's kind of like our main protagonist mm-hmm. like i was thinking like is he selfish but like like yes but also just no He's wildly immature is what he is it's like a selfishness of like a man child right similar to the guy in red rocket yes where you're just like wow but also there doesn't seem to be malice in this you're just incapable of making you're like a child who like is self-centered but you're supposed to be as a child because you're not developmentally able to comprehend other things right like that's yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it but that's upsetting because like you're old enough that you should be out of that yeah like so it is selfish then yeah and just like the logic the logic that's put on display here by these main characters, it's just, it's a lot of it is built and they make kind of references to it. It's built off of stuff they've seen, they would have seen in movies mm. that are dealing with like a similar ish mm-hmm. kind of scenario, mm-hmm. but it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. like, they're like, Oh, this is kind of like this one thing I've seen. So I need to treat it in this exact way. It's so hard to talk about this though, without talking about the twist because yeah. That's what it felt like to me at the beginning. But then once you find out the truth, I understood in retrospect, not that I agreed with it, but I understood in retrospect why they wanted to keep it a secret. Yes. Because when you're watching it at first, you're just like, come on, just do this a different way. Yeah. And then in retrospect, you're like, okay, I see why you didn't do it a different way. Yeah. Like, I I don't know. I'm with you. Like, I'm trying to kind of, pull back the curtain and see what it is, what the larger thing is they're trying to say. Like, is it about kind of just like the perspectives of society having weight on ways that like, or like things that we get ourselves into? For sure. So there's a quote I, that I found a Reddit AMA with Dan Scheinert and uh, the writer Billy Chu. And Dan Scheinert has a very, um, concrete quote about what themes they were looking at in this film and i cannot read it because it'll spoil it okay but tell me me i will tell you off mike it actually made me more uncomfortable really yes because i just don't think based on what a couple of the things he's saying that they were trying to explore through this i do not think it's an appropriate metaphor or handled in a deft enough way and it actually gave me some big yikes, big yikes energy. Mm. Um, that was a little disappointing for me. Mm. Um, and I have to admit that like the last quarter of this film made me profoundly uncomfortable mm-hmm. in a way that I'm like, I feel like I need to understand the purpose of like why you went there with this. Um, I Maybe that's a me thing because I feel like you liked the movie more than I did. Um and I think I was enjoying it to a, to a degree. 
until this moment. And then I was like, yeah, there's again, I, I can't. It'll spoil the movie if I equate this to another piece of art that like. I in general like this piece of art that has several different versions of it. Um, but there's one particular version of it that I'm like, why? I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'll, we'll stop talking in vagaries because that's not fun for anyone who's listening. But aside from that, I'm curious how much of maybe the ability to look at this more deftly was impacted by production. Mm. Um, I it got a straight to video release. Um, there was one really biting moment from Billy Chu specifically on the Reddit AMA that was like, somebody said like, why didn't you blank, blank, blank? Um, and I can't say. And then he said, ask A24 that. No. So I'm like, ooh. <laughs> um, which like considering where this film eventually goes, I could see production having a hand in like cutting certain things or, you know what I mean? Or wanting to elaborate on certain things maybe even. No, I think it was... Getting rid of stuff yeah. like that might have helped with context. Based, based, no, <laughs> I'll, I can't talk about <laughs> any of it. Um, th- I was like, this might be a good re- one to do a spoiler review on, but I don't want to do a spoiler yeah. review on this movie. Like you said, like maybe I enjoyed it more than you. I wouldn't say I enjoyed this movie. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, well, you get, you get, yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, it does open with a Nickelback song. The music stuff is funny. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, the, on the Reddit AMA, Dan Scheinert said, it was fun to play the, quote, quote, it was fun to play the empathy game. Can I relate to guys who love music I dislike? Kind of a metaphor for the whole movie. Mm, yeah. yeah um, also, somebody on the AMA said, is this meant to be a comedy? And he said, I think real life is fucked up and hilarious and heartbreaking. So most of my favorite films mix all those things, too. We absolutely wanted to make people feel very uncomfortable. Uh, goal achieved. Yeah, goal achieved. Um, I just like don't honestly don't know what to say about this movie and I would highly caution people about watching it. Yes. Um, because it's really upsetting and really dark and I like upsetting and dark things in this really like pit of my stomach uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, yeah, which like, because I love everything everywhere all at once so much. I'm just like. Why? Yeah, I just don't. I just don't know. I want to understand his intentions a little bit more. I guess because I, I just don't understand how this movie was made by somebody who made like my favorite thing in the world. Not that it's a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. I'm just like I just don't understand. I just yeah. don't understand. Like it's it's well made, well acted. Um, you see a lot of those like well Dan- written those Daniels isms shine through. Yeah. throughout. Um. Well, I, I think it just it just kind of solidifies that Daniel Shiner needs Daniel Kwan. <laughs> needs Kwan. Daniel Kwan. I mean, but we had some, not to get into it, I had some feelings of discomfort around the very, like, the very last bit of Swiss Army Man. Yes. That, like, not the same, but I was just like, I liked this movie so much, and then, like, I don't understand what you're doing this last qu- quarter, or not even quarter, this, like, last five minutes, and I'm actually really uncomfortable about it. Yeah. Um, which I would like to revisit Swiss Army Man. And at that point, we can tell the bizarre story of like how we saw that movie, because I think that might have had a, an impact on my viewing of it. But I don't I don't know that I'll ever watch this movie again. I don't no. think I'll ever watch this movie again. No. How'd it make you feel? So for the first three quarters, like groaningly frustrated with 
um, Zeke mm-hmm. in a way that was like entertaining to watch and then very, very darkly, sadly uncomfortable for the last quarter. Yeah. Yeah. I I was just like, the words I have are like flabbergasted. Yeah. Just like throughout and like gobsmacked. Yeah. And then by the end, yeah, I was just like, Ugh. what did, like, what was this? Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, upset. Yeah. <laughs> upset. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I don't know what I think. Yeah, same. <laughs> my my brain is, my, my brain is broken on this one. I thought it was going to be like, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't want to really look up much about it. Yeah. I just saw that it had like an okay rating on. I think that's a 3.3 on, on Letterboxd. On Letterboxd. Like a 6 point something um, on IMDb. And yeah, I wanted to like see, like, I like the poster and I was curious about Daniel Scheinert and I know that he can make some funny stuff when he's with Daniel Kwan. So I'm like, hey, this might be kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I mean, it is funny for the first three quarters. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just, I feel like there's certain people out there who would be like, would have some things to say to us about what we're saying about the last quarter and like, if they were willing to like have that open conversation, like what we had, what we talked about earlier with like, well, can you like tell me why you liked it? And we'll tell you why we felt on, un- not didn't like it, but felt uncomfortable. And let's have like a really like nice open dialogue. I'd be super open to that, but I am not interested in somebody just being like, well, you suck because you didn't like it and you don't get it. Yeah. And I feel like this potentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, and this might be a strong word, but it, it's potentially it runs the risk of potentially being a bit of a dangerous movie in that there's aspects of it that a lot of people could interpret as being played for laughs that's yeah i agree like like i said i don't think that the last quarter is played for laughs but i could see people watching it and being like i love that movie because that was so funny yeah and like particularly when i talked to you about kind of some of the metaphors that they were you know, intent intending to explore with this, really not cool. Yeah, really not. And cool. I think that that just adds to another feeling that I'm feeling is just a little bit of like being scared. Yeah, and and then that makes me brings me back to again, like, would this have been been a different movie if there was full creative freedom? Because I kind of feel like maybe there wasn't. Yeah. Um, because this is the only thing, um, that I saw on Letterbox that Billy Chu has written. Uh, but he's done some like TV stuff, I think. Oh, has he? Again, Letterbox doesn't have a lot of TV stuff right. on it. Okay. Um, but not a lot of stuff. Okay. Um, but I'm like, that's interesting to me. Like, this was his first kind of like dipping the toe into writing a feature film. And then maybe based on the comment you said on Reddit, his experience was like so poor. But also interesting to think about how like this is the first thing Dan Scheinert has directed feature feature film wise that he didn't write. Yeah. That was something um, else I was thinking about too. Yeah. And in the Reddit AMA he and granted this was a long time ago because there's even a part where somebody's like, Hey, can you tell us about that movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once that you're working on? And he's like, Yeah, we're shooting it right now. It's really great. Our cast is amazing, but it's like all secret. And I'm like, ah Um He talks about how like he and Billy Chu have like this concept for a horror anthology and I'm like this is like, I feel like we have not been as joyous as we usually are, probably because we're tired. It's been an emotional week. Yeah. And then we had like this really like heavy, complex movie that like we aren't joyous about, but we are reflective about. Then one that we like kind of had some issues with. And yeah. then we were so tired. We watched Dawn of the Dead and then like, whoa, this this 
came out of left field when like you're expecting some everything everywhere all at once vibes. Yes. <laughs> Heavens. So we haven't been as joyous as we typically are. And that's okay. That's valid. And there's room for that. I'm sure we'll return with joy more next week. Um, Thanks for coming on the journey though. <laughs> yeah. So, so just like final thing about this, like I would say I am not recommending it. Yes. And I would be very, um, we didn't know where this movie was going when we decided to watch it. And I would be careful ab- about it if you are watching it, just in terms of the like impact it might have on you. Cause I think it could have lingering discomfort that could last for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And that could be really upsetting mm-hmm. for a person. Um, Cause I still, when I think about it, feel pretty uncomfortable. Yep. It hasn't left me. Yeah. And I'm not, ha- I'm not happy about it. That's, that's it. That's good, babe. Thanks. Well, well said. Well, well said. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, that's well said. Okay. Well, let's let's turn to some joy because yeah. it's time. Let's get to that time. Let's get to the time. Let's name some bad dads and some rad dads. So okay. who is your bad dad nominee for the week? So I actually, str- I struggled with these this week. Okay. Um, yeah. I think partially because I am not ethically okay with naming real people as bad or rad dads. So stories we tell was taken out of the running. Right. Yeah. And then there just aren't a lot of characters in Indiana Jones. Um, so I felt like I had to do some work with this. I, I originally had someone different for Bad Dad, but I changed it to Zeke. I changed it to Michael Abbott Jr. Zeke. My reasons being primarily he gaslights the shit out of his daughter, his like eight-year-old daughter. Yes. Several times in a way that's profoundly uncomfortable. Um, it's, it's awful. Yeah. To anyone who thinks gaslighting isn't real, watch this scene. But maybe don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's selfish. I know we had some conversations about the complication of how he's selfish, but um, that brings me to he's corrupted by his own feelings and yet unable to work through them. Yeah. And he sees himself as the person most impacted by all the things that happen. Yeah. Without thinking about other people. And I just think that's some bad dad energy. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with um, any of the particular happenings of the film that make him a bad dad. It's the way that he goes about that and while much of that might be societally impacted nonetheless kind of like tony collette um annie and hereditary i can have empathy for why he's acting the way he is and still feel like these are some pretty awful things for a child to have to go through if you're their dad yeah zeke from the death of dick long was also my bad dad we agreed yeah like i just i think I feel like, and you used this word earlier, his immaturity is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it, it puts a lot, of, it puts the people he cares about um, in positions that they would never want to be in. I don't think, even think it's a position he would want to be in, but he puts them into those, into those positions. And yeah, I just, he, and I think what adds to that too is that he the actions that he's taking and that he he and the things that he does throughout the movie it just I, I don't even know where I'm going. <laughs> I I just like I just think that the things that he does in this movie just give him such hardcore bad dad energy. Yeah. And I feel I couldn't deny it. I feel like you just you encapsulated it so well. Um so that I guess I just don't. Yeah, Michael Abbott Jr. Zeke. <laughs> just go away and 
stick it. Yeah. Goodbye. Tell me who your rad dad is. Because I struggled with this one too. I didn't feel like there was a lot of contenders. Uh oh man, rad dad energy. Key Kwan, short round from Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, you know what? So here's my bias of like thinking age. Because I now, as soon as you said that, I, I was like, why? He's a kid. And then I'm like, oh, I maybe it's get a, it. It's all about that energy. Okay. I'm just going to say I picked Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones and I'm going to defer to you and agree with you on short round. So you tell us why. See, I get it. Because yeah, I, I kind of started with, I kind of started with that. But when I really thought about it, the the energy I liked more is short rounds. And what I have written down is that he's loyal to the soil. <laughs> <laughs> he is loyal to the soil. And I actually think all of the things that I have about Indy, so I said that why he's my rad dad is that he's protective, but he also sees short round as capable. Um, he validates short round and he's affectionate with him. Those are all true of short round too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, And I like Kikwan. Much better. Well, Harrison Ford is, he's good. He's fine. He, yeah. He's a babe. Big babe in this one. Um, but yeah, like I just feel like short round would have my back. He would, um, he, he would take risks to ensure that, you know, I achieve my goals or whatever it is I'm like trying to attain. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just, he has a, he has such a positivity Mm. about everything and he just he feels like even though he's a kid in this in this movie he's very mature he's very mature he drives a car he does it's the first (laughs) time we see him i I mean i was on board for the movie once i saw that kikwan was in it um yeah i i will agree with you i i struggled there wasn't a lot of rad dad energy in these four movies Mm -hmm. um I mean, I think there is some in the documentary, but it's just, I just didn't feel good about naming real people. Yeah. Um, Fair. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, our first Ki Kwan, Ki Kwan gets our first um, double rad dad. Oh, the first double dad. That's really cool. Nice. All so, right. Ki Kwan's uh, character of Short Round, Be your dad. dad. Heck yeah. All right. So, we're going to hit you with a nice little rad rack. Yeah, so quick, quick little rad wreck. So um, as some of you may have seen on our Instagram at baddad.raddad, if you're interested, we post some fun pictures, yeah. um, mostly of Elliot, because I'm usually <laughs> holding the camera. Um, and I'm always wearing the same jacket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just yeah. thought about that yesterday. I'm like, man. Looks like you don't change your clothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Buy more clothes. <laughs> so our rad wreck of the week this week is buy movie theater popcorn and bring it to your house. Hell yeah. Because... Movie theater popcorn is delicious. Um, so, like, popcorn is my favorite snack. Oh yeah, you of all time. Hoover popcorn. Yeah. Oh yeah. You eat popcorn so fast and in like fistfuls, and you could eat so much popcorn. Yeah. Yep. I will also say you make really good popcorn, but it's yeah. a different kind of popcorn. So sometimes I'm really like, like we'll have just been to the movies the day before, but I want, like. There's the popcorn you make, then there's like microwave popcorn, and then there's like popcorn you buy from a bag, like Smart Pop or Boom Chicka Pop, mm. and then there's movie theater popcorn. And those all have very distinct experiences that yes. come along with them, and sure. sometimes I'm in the mood for a particular one. Um, but our hometown has some of the best movie theater popcorn ever, and we don't typically drive out here. It's only half an hour from where we live, but we don't typically drive out to bring that home. Usually we'll get Cineplex popcorn. Um, so... 
I suggested, I was like, hey, I know we're going to watch a movie like at my mom's place tonight, but like, do you want to drive to like the local theater and go pick up some popcorn? And I was like, hell yeah. So we did. We bought some movie theater popcorn. And we brought it home. Well, it was weird too, because it was a weird experience for me because that's the movie theater I used to work at when I was a teenager. We and I haven't been back there in a few years. We took our niece to see... Our niece and our nephew. Our niece and our nephew uh, to Coco. see Coco. Um, and then it changed quite a bit then from when i worked there and it's changed even more now so just walking in there first of all it's like a bit of a, that wave of like oh man and i used to work here every day you've eaten a lot of that popcorn i've eaten a ton of that popcorn it's still great it's so good i love it it's so good but even like at the beginning of the pandemic when we couldn't go to movie theaters but they were still offering takeout of their menu items we were watching i think we were watching signs yeah and Such a good movie. <laughs> we or we ordered some Cineplex popcorn through like Skip the Dishes or Uber or whatever to come to our place. And it was like an emotional experience it was. for you. I like I didn't cry the way I sometimes can cry, but I got really emotional and like a little a little watery. It was, sorry, it wasn't because it wasn't the beginning of the pandemic. No. It was like well into the pandemic yeah. where we hadn't been to a movie in at least a year. Yeah, and we had because it was it was when we it would have been like post July because we were living in our new house. Yeah. Um so sorry I interrupted you. No, that's okay. Uh but thank you for acknowledging. Very, very uh good. Um <laughs> Yeah, when I like the just the sense memory of like that popcorn coming down the stairs and smelling like the theater lobby and just you know being at the movies is one of my favorite activities. Being in a theater is one of my favorite places to be, um, and like having some aspect of that when I was missing it so much, like made me emotional. And, and I think like both I was like really like comforted to have that popcorn and have that smell, but then also sad that it wasn't happening at the theater and we didn't know when, when we would be able to because they'd be open and then when we'd feel comfortable, like both of those things, yeah. um, or even when we'd feel comfortable to go and eat popcorn, um, you know, so it was really lovely. And then it started a like almost weekly trend of ordering. Oh my God. Popcorn. We overdid it for a while. We were just like, so movie theater much. popcorn. Um, and now we, we don't do it as often, but I think uh, it's something that's slept on a bit, buying movie theater popcorn and bringing it home. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and being at my mom's, she loves movie theater popcorn. Like she'll go to the movies just for the popcorn. Yeah. Um, and she hasn't been to a movie. Um, like since pre-March 2020. So um, hopefully when she comes back from where she is, we've had the house to ourselves here. We'll have some popcorn for her, but um, highly recommend. I, I can't promise that. No, maybe we'll pick up, we'll pick up some yeah. more for her. I, I think it's a great way too to support uh, your local theaters, even if you don't feel comfortable or aren't yes. able to go to the movies um, and get a delicious snack. Yeah, because even uh, our favorite movie theater, Metro Cinema, during the pandemic, they had some yeah. free popcorn days. They yeah. weren't showing movies, but you could go and... Uh, and support them by getting some popcorn. And we did. It's quite a trek for us to get there. Mm -hmm. Like, and and we purposefully did the couple times that they were doing that um, to support them and, and get them some some of our dollars because we thought yeah. that they really, we, we wanted them to be able to keep their, or to reopen their doors when it was time because yes. one of our other local theaters didn't manage to be able to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Rad Rack, buy movie theater popcorn and bring it home to the comfort of your couch or your bed or wherever you watch movies from. Mm, yeah. 
Hell yeah. And that's it. That's it. Thank you for listening. Um, this was uh, this admittedly a bit of a weird episode because yeah, we're bit just messy. like like I said off the top, it's a bit of a transitional time for us. So yeah, we're we're in transitional emotions. By the time you hear us next week, we will be in our new house yeah. where we will have a much fancier, not fancier, but a much more um, homey podcasting room yes dedicated podcasting space we were in like a glorified closet um, for <laughs> yeah. the last last 10 episodes um so yeah yeah thanks for bearing with us yeah. through this thank this you so tricky, much tricky time yeah no it's great we really appreciate you listening and we drop a new episode every thursday so until then you can follow us and slide into our dms on instagram at baddad.raddad um we also, we also have a nice little twitter at bad dad at bad dad rad dad um you can also get a sneak peek at what we've been watching over on our individual letterboxd accounts our usernames are elliot cuss and kylie burton you can also drop us a rating review or follow on apple Podcasts, spotify's or wherever you're listening from we've had some really nice ones that we talked about last week we'd love we'd love a little bit more and i think that's going to do it for this week so until next time I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.